This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Pakman Show, The Majority Report, The Young Turks, Dan Savage, The Media Matters Minute, Citizen Radio, This Week in Blackness, and The Rachel Maddow Show. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode may not be appropriate for some chauvinists or misogynists. Republican Congressman Roscoe Bartlett is now blasting working moms. Hey, what, what the hell? We've already been criticizing women for years. Let's just say working moms specifically should now be in our crosshairs. This is incredible. He said, um, uh, the Washington Post has the quote, and Roscoe Bartlett said the following, This isn't the politically correct thing to say, but when we drove the mother out of the home into the workplace and replaced her with the television set, that was not a good thing. What does this even mean? I can tell that it's in a way comparing women to television sets. In other words, women were replaced by television sets and women working was a bad thing. I know that somewhere in there he's trying to make a positive comment, but this is, what is this guy talking about? By the way, just for reference, this is the guy who compared student loans to the Holocaust. We covered that a month or two ago. And he also said that the information age is just a high-tech bubble. You can't eat electrons and they won't keep rain off of your head. They won't take you anywhere. So the information age is just not something that's good. Um, this guy does not really know how to put together uh, an idea in a way that sounds even remotely coherent or, or positive. Or a sentence. I think he's trying to say something about how children are raised now and their exposure to the TV. media and all of these other uh, evils, as he probably considers them. Right. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's odd. The other funny thing is he talks about we drove women out. Again, it's this idea that women are subservient and we, I don't know if we as men or we as politicians or who the we is, but a collective we decided We've got. It. We're going to change what women do. We're going to push them out of the home, right. and we're going to make them work. Right? I so, mean, isn't that the underlying thing here, Natan? Yeah, I mean, I think this guy Roscoe is a pretty reasonable guy overall. <laughs> I think he's, he's taking a good look at all of the actual evidence, and he's on the right side of history. For yeah, sure. there you go. <laughs> it sounds like a student of uh, Phyllis Shapley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, there is a war on men. Yes, uh, the good folks at uh, foxnews.com, Miss Suzanne Venker, a traitor to her gender, apparently, revealing that there is a war on men. Evidence? Pew Research reports that the share of women ages 18 to 34 say that having a successful marriage is one of the most important things on their lives rose 9 percentage points since 1997. 
No, the war on men is not because more women see marriage as important. Because for men, the opposite has occurred. The share voicing this opinion dropped from 35% to 29%. Believe it or not, modern women want to get married. Trouble is, men don't. And why is that? Well, as the author of three books on the American family and its intersection with pop culture, Suzanne Venker says, she has accidentally stumbled upon a subculture of men who've told me in no uncertain terms. <laughs> they're never getting married. When I ask them why, the answer is always the same. Women aren't women anymore. In a nutshell, she writes, women are angry. They're also defensive. Though often unknowingly, that's because they've been raised to think of men as the enemy. Yeah, well, no, that I know. Uh, but what if the dearth of good men in ongoing battle of sexes is, hold on your seats, women's fault? After decades of browbeating the American male, Men are tired. Well, I don't want to editorialize on this editorial, but yeah, it's true. I'm freaking exhausted. Tired of being told there's something fundamentally wrong with them. Yeah, check. Tired of being told that if women aren't happy, it's men's fault. Check. I got a wife and a daughter. You kidding me? She writes, contrary to what feminists like Hannah Rosen, author of The End of Men, say, the so-called rise of women has not uh, threatened men. It has pissed them off. Men want to love women, not compete with them. They want to provide for and protect their families. It's in their DNA. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. No, I said I'm tired. But modern women won't let them. Feminism serves men very well. They can have sex at hello and even live with their girlfriends with no responsibilities whatsoever. Uh, hmm, hmm. I have not had that full experience yet. <laughs> uh, fortunately, there is good news. Women have the power to turn everything around. All they have to do is to surrender to their nature, their femininity, and let men surrender to theirs. If they do, marriageable men will come out of the woodwork. For you. So, ladies, here's the, let me let me sum up. Let's get could. back into the kitchen, and everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, this whole thing where you go off and try and have a career or become a person, don't you knock it off and realize that if you uh, just act a little bit more demure, don't you always listen. Ask a guy about himself. If you, if you want to get married, do a little bit more of the listening. Not so much the chitty chitty chatty. Come on now. One, one of the books she wrote is unbelievable. It's called How to Choose a Husband. I, I think that sounds too empowering. She, she, you should just wait around and let yeah. a man choose you. You don't choose a husband. You wait until you're chosen. She keeps it simple and I am thankful for her kind of loving. Cause it's simple No longer do we wonder 
If we're together, we're way past that. And I've already asked her. So in January, we're getting married. James Knight is a dentist in Iowa, and he had this stellar female employee. Uh, by the name of Melissa Nelson for 10 years, okay? Mm -hmm. And apparently he found her irresistible, she was very attractive, and their professional relationship began to become a little more personal. Mm -hmm. um, and they started sending text messages to one another, they started uh, basically talking about their sex lives with one another. They're both married, so keep that okay. in mind. But understand that she was not being flirtatious with them necessarily, and she, they were not talking about sex with each other, they were talking about their separate sex lives. She says, look man, I look at him as a father figure, I, I, so now you take it with a grain of salt or whatever based on the text messages, but uh, of course the person who didn't take it that way was the dentist's wife. Right, so the dentist's wife uh, sees the text messages. In one text message, uh, you know, James Knight basically says to his employee, you know, she was talking about how she hasn't had sex in her relationship for a while, whatever. He referred to her as a Ferrari in the garage. Lamborghini, that never gets, I believe. Lamborghini in the garage that never gets driven. So, no, no, this guy's hilarious, man. Like, I, we can't tell really from the stories what her views are. She says, look, I got no sexual feelings about him whatsoever. I, I have to be honest, the sense I got was that she was responding to the text messages. Listen, if you know your boss has a thing for you and you don't want it to pass certain boundaries, then you don't respond by telling him how often you have sex with your husband. Okay? All right, so and that's, that's, for the, you know, that's for people to judge, etc. But his intentions are clear. His okay. intentions are clear. So anyway, after 10 years of being a stellar employee, uh, you know, James Knight decides to fire her because his wife found the text messages. They go to his pastor and consult with the pastor, and the pastor tells them, well, if this woman is putting your marriage in jeopardy, then you should fire her. So he does fire her. He fires her after 10 years, okay? And this case goes all the way to the Iowa State Supreme Court. And an all-male judge uh, panel basically makes the decision that he was right in firing her for being too irresistible. Awesome. Okay. Now, huh, interesting. Well, <laughs> so some of the things that he said and got away with was, if you wear clothes that tight, well, then you shouldn't be surprised when my uh, pants are bulging. Yeah. Okay, and he says, if my pants are bulging, that means your clothes are too tight. Okay, now look, here's the person who wanted to get her fired in the first place. Let's keep it real. The wife. <laughs> okay, she got the text messages, she was all over his ass. This is my interpretation, but you all know it's true. And then he was like, me? No, I, I know, I know. Look, look, I've been, okay, I said the Lamborghini line about, oh, I want to test drive that Lamborghini, put her in the driver, you know what I mean? I'm going to bolt in the pan. Okay, so yeah, I said those things, but I, it's not my fault. I find her irresistible. Okay, so he says, of course, honey, I'm going to fire her. Of course I am, right? And then they go to the all-male judgment, and they're like, well, look, dude, she is kind of hot. I mean, that would be kind of hard to resist. So uh, there she goes. Okay. Yeah. Now, is this right? I, I, I feel like this story has not been reported correctly. Okay? Really? That's my and, and by the way, I don't think that she should have been fired, okay? So I, I don't think that anyone should be fired based on their looks, whether they're unattractive or attractive. That should not play a role at all. 
Okay. Now I I'm totally gonna get, agree. Now I'm going to get the fucking comments like, oh, well, you got hired because you're attractive. No, really? That's, that's Somebody's going to say that? Yeah, people... Don't be a dick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But, but I, I don't think that that should play a role at all, right? But in this case, I think the reason why they made that ruling was because there was tension in the workplace after the wife found out. I think that she did respond to some of his advances. I don't know if they actually got physical. I don't know any of that. But I do know that obviously she responded to some of his text messages. And their relationship began to become more personal. So that's probably why the judges made the ruling that they did. Morally, he's totally in the wrong. Because, look, she, he gets to keep the job. She doesn't get to keep the job, even though he was a pervy wanker. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, that makes no sense. Now, there's an update on the story, though. There is a little bit of justice when you talk about the moral aspect of this. Apparently, uh, the people on Yelp have decided to meet out their own justice. Yeah. And they're all over his ass yeah. on Yelp saying, don't go to this dentist, he's a creep, yada, yada. Yeah, so a bunch of people are going on Yelp. They're giving him one-star reviews, and they're basically saying, well, since this guy doesn't have any self-control, he might actually uh, stab you in the side of your face with a scalpel. <laughs> well, I don't know if he'd so, do that, but... <laughs> you know, but of course there's exaggeration there. But people are voicing their opinions on this ruling, and they have the right to do so. Hey, free market, baby, right? Yeah. Yep. So then that's exactly how it works. So probably he's losing a lot of customers. So legally you won, but you've been yelped. Top conservative publication National Review is saying that the shooting at Sandy Hook School occurred because women ran the school and there just weren't enough men. They actually say there was not a single adult male on the school premises when the shooting occurred. In a school of 450 students, a sizable number of whom were und undoubtedly 11 and 12 year old boys, all the personnel, the teachers, the principal, the assistant principal, the school psychologist, the reading specialist, were female. There wasn't even a, a male janitor to heave his bucket at the shooter's knees saying they need more male teachers and more, more men there, apparently. Now, number one, this completely degrades the bravery of the women involved here. The principal, Don Hochsprung, the psychologist, Mary Sherlock, rushed the shooter before being killed. Teacher Victoria Soto died protecting her students. There's so many others here. And again, this idea that bullets only work on the weak or that you need men there. Remember, again, Columbine High School had a male armed deputy named Neil Gardner, and he retreated because what, what, what could that one guy do, right? What could a couple of teachers do? Again, throwing a bucket, it's completely disrespectful and dismissive of the actions of women. And how, how is this, is this now a position, Natan, a valid position that you need men around if it's going to be safe? Uh, no, obviously this uh, doesn't even bear a response, I don't think. Um, and, and in any case, we already know there is evidence about what happens if you have armed people. Forget about men or women. Yeah. Armed people in these situations. And it's some sort of, uh, you know, moral fantasy to think that because the good guy has the gun, 
uh, is trying to fight the bad guy, that somehow the good guy is going to win. There's no evidence that suggests that yeah. your moral stature makes you win in a gunfight. Let, let's talk about how uh, movies and video games are distorting reality. <laughs> yeah. it, it seems to be having the, the effect, the opposite effect. Making you think that with a gun, one on six or one on three guns or whatever, you just everything's a clean, you just get right. a shooter and that's it. All of a sudden you're dirty hairy and you're a sharpshooter and one bullet, boom, the, the bad guy's down, you're unscathed and uh, it's incredible. happy ending, right? Okay, American and Canadian ladies. Uh, most of my listeners are in American Canada. I know there are listeners in other places. But for sake of argument, American and Canadian ladies who can hear the sound of my voice right now. What can women in Portugal, Hungary, Turkey, Thailand, India, China, Cambodia do that you can't do, Canadian and American ladies? They can buy birth control pills over the counter. And you can't. You have to make a doctor's appointment and go to the doctor, which is a problem for particularly women, poor women who don't have doctors, who may not have health insurance, who may not have the time. There are working people who take the time out of their day to make a doctor's appointment and show up at a doctor's office and get a prescription for birth control. In these countries, these other countries, you can just walk into a drugstore and buy birth control. In Mexico, you can buy birth control pills over the counter without a doctor's prescription. And last week, the American College of Obst Obstetricians and gynecologists issued a, a, a paper, a finding. They called for birth control pills to be made available over the counter in the United States, which would be a wonderful development, particularly if you want to see the rate of unplanned pregnancies come down. 50% of all pregnancies in the United States and Canada are unplanned pregnancies. And if you want to see that rate come down because you don't want people's lives disrupted, if you want to see that rate come down just because an unplanned pregnancy is likelier to end in abortion than a planned pregnancy, hello, of course, whatever the fuck, you know, you would want to make birth control more widely available. You would want to make health care more widely available generally, but particularly birth control more widely available because nothing brings down the abortion rate and the unplanned pregnancy rate faster than ease of access to contraceptives. There's a great piece on Salon about this. A lot of the objections that people raise when you talk about making uh, birth control pills available over the counter are kind of patronizing and infantilizing about women and women's health and women's ability to make their own choices and decisions. Lauren Neergaard for the Associated Press wrote a wonderful piece kind of addressing in advance a lot of the objections that people might raise to birth control pills being made available over the counter, including, you know, birth control pills are very safe, uh, Lauren Neergaard writes, blood clots, the main serious side effect, happen very rarely and are a bigger threat during pregnancy and right after giving birth. People on birth control are less likely to get pregnant and give birth, so blood clots less of a concern. And women can easily tell if they have risk factors, 
because uh, there are risk factors such as smoking or having had a previous clot, and then therefore they might not want to choose the pill as their birth control option. And it is really kind of infantilizing to treat women like this. You can't trust them with over-the-counter birth control pills because, oh, birth control pills have side effects. A lot of drugs that are available over-the-counter have side effects, potentially serious side effects including stomach bleeding from taking too much aspirin and liver damage from acetaminophen, also known as Tylenol or whatever. We trust that people know that medications, including many over-the-counter medications, carry some risk of side effects and people need to use their own best judgment. But we want to get contraceptives into the hands of more people and more easily and more cheaply at less cost of time and money. There are a lot of people out there who'd like to be on birth control who can't access it because they don't have a primary care physician, they don't have a gynecologist, they don't have the time to get to the doctor, they can't make an appointment. We want those people to have access to birth control. There's no risk that this is going to happen anytime soon. A drug company would have to apply and fight for the right. And what we've seen in the past is any drug that comes along that makes it easier for people to have sex without risking sexually transmitted infections or pregnancies, opposition comes in from the right because the right and the sex-negative nutbags want to make sure that if you choose to have sex, terrible things will happen to you. They want to make it likelier that terrible things will happen to you. No one is pushing right now to make birth control pills available over the county. A drug company would have to do that. But I guarantee you that if a drug company answers the call of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and pushes for this, we will see them come out of the woodwork in opposition. The same people who opposed introducing the HPV vaccine to save women's lives will emerge to oppose making birth control more easily and readily available to women. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tori Brown. Javon Belcher's murder of his girlfriend, Cassandra Perkins, brought the serious problem of domestic violence into the national spotlight. On Fox News, Dana Perino decided the victim deserved the blame. Women are victims of violence all the time. Should have guns. Could, well, maybe that may, or make better decisions. Perino's comment is just the latest example of Fox News figures blaming female victims of alleged crimes. Here's Bill O'Reilly discussing the rape and murder of an 18-year-old girl. All right, now Moore, Jennifer Moore, 18, on her way to college, she was, uh, five foot two, 105 pounds, wearing a mini skirt and a halter top with a bare midriff. Now again, there you go. So every predator in the world is going to pick that up at two in the morning. She's walking by herself. Some people do engage in high-risk behaviors, but only the perpetrator is responsible for the crime of sexual assault. Anyone asserting otherwise only serves to explain away murder and rape. terrible tragedy uh, at Notre Dame, uh, which is, of course, they lost their football game. Right. Uh, if you were on Twitter last night, that seems like the only tragedy that happened at Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, was a girl raped and it drove her to suicide? Maybe. What? Well, why talk about that on game day? Guys, how am I supposed to watch a football being thrown to a man? If I have to think about uh, a girl being raped and then committing suicide, right? We're, uh, we're a herd of boys uh, raped uh, at Notre Dame. Yes. Yeah, sure. But how am I? What am I supposed to do? 
what am I supposed to do, right? Um, the real tragedy is that uh, in a game where people throw a ball into a giant fork, Notre Dame's uh, number was lower than whatever other team they were playing. Yeah. So I apologize. Next season, maybe a little less rape, a little more practice. Maybe, though. I mean, like, unless you guys don't want to do that and you want to keep raping, in which case no one will stop you. Well, no, because... You uh, play football. Football. The town really seems to love uh, football. So you're not going to be held accountable. But if I were a coach, here's what I'd say. I'd say say, gather around. Uh, Gather around, young lads. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, one of the guys would make a joke like, you're not going to rape me like Sandusky, right? And I'd be like, ha, 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 you. Right. And then um, I'd say, look, we could spend this season sexually assaulting women. Right. Like we usually do. Yep. Right? You're not going to go to jail. Uh, you're not even going to be kicked off the football team. Certainly not. Because again, football. Football. But... If you want to maybe win next time, I-, I would say the next time you're like, like, I'm going to rape, maybe just do some win sprints. Maybe. Could- I mean, like, in terms of helping us win games, that seems like the better strategy. Yeah. Now, if we were playing rape ball. Which isn't a thing, except. It could be a Notre Dame. Yeah. If it was going to be a thing, my God, it would be here. And oh, yeah. you boys, I I, I I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be prouder. Mm-hmm. I could not be prouder. Mm-hmm. You would win. Mm-hmm. And again, no one would stop you. No, certainly not the police. No. Uh, cer- again, they love football. The administration, they're going to make any women just feel like it's their fault. Right. Until again, like we saw, they eventually commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you're like, that girl looks really drunk. Should I try to have sex with her or, 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 uh, maybe take a jog. Maybe. maybe Work on some cardio. Maybe run some laps. Maybe some burpees. Mm -hmm. Uh, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Right. And then everybody cheers. Yeah. We want to get to, Allison wants to get to, um, the Notre Dame rape cases that we were talking to. Yep. Um, something that I totally forgot that is actually getting some play on some good blogs today. Um, apparently during the game. All anybody could talk about, like pundits, announcers, were how hot the girlfriends of these college players were. Mm-hmm. And my favorite exchange was uh, Eric Erickson, who was like known to be a fucking, you know, right wing, horrible hack troll. Um, does he still work for CNN? At one point, uh, he was hired, yeah. yeah. Um, he was commenting on how hot, like, the quarterback's wife was, and was or girlfriend, and was like, this is why I want my son to play football or be the quarterback or whatever, so he can get hot chicks. Um, and then when people are like, you're disgusting, he's like, so now I can't even compliment a pretty girl! No, so fucking... Why are you mad? Britt Hume, who I didn't even know was on Twitter... Just like the kind of the old John Kerry looking dude from Fox News tweets Eric Erickson unprompted and goes, watch out, buddy. Uh, Twitter's going to get awfully mad. Nowadays, you can't even call a girl pretty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. like, just watching those two bond oh, yeah. over just salivating over girls they could never get mm-hmm. was so gross. Mm-hmm. Especially because, again, I didn't think Brit Hume like... 
even tweets. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that I just wanted to bring up and just kind of go. Ugh. Is that like the new equivalent of dudes just desperately honking their horns at girls, just desperately tweeting things she's never going to read? Maybe. Yeah. I think you're pretty. She can't hear you, buddy. Oh, uh, buddy. And she if can't she hear could, you. She would. Uh, she'd call her boyfriend over. She'd be horrified. And her football boyfriend uh, would beat you up. Can't you see that I love you? Well, we're going to break the room. Oh, Jesus. So before I even say that, I'm going to uh, first say that there is a trigger warning for this next segment, uh, a trigger for uh, sexual violence. We're going to talk about the Steubenville, Ohio case. So um, if it's something that you really don't want to listen to, I suggest uh, turning it down for the next few minutes. So I don't know if you're familiar, guys, with what's going on in Steubenville, Ohio. Well, I, 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 I will, I will fully admit when, when you first brought this up to me, uh, I thought, I thought you were talking about legislation. Um, because <laughs> I thought, I, I, thought bill. I, I thought you said the Steuben bill and I was like, what's, who's Steuben and what bill is he putting forth? Um, and I was very confused when you actually start to enlighten me and I really wish that it was just simply some legislation. I really wish. Yeah, it, it really is not simply some legislation. God, I wish it was. Uh, no, uh, the end of the, at the end of the summer, uh, this past year, um, in Ohio, two young men, both uh, Steubenville High School uh, students and members of their football team, discovered uh, a very, very drunk young girl, a 16-year-old girl at a party, and allegedly carried her around with them all night and repeatedly raped her from party to party. I, I, can't, even, I can't even process what you just said. Yeah. So, I, so, so, just, and just so that we can be very, very clear, as to what you just said, there was a young lady uh, in Steubenville who was drunk. Yes. And apparently... And it, it, possibly was, possibly had uh, Rohypnol, but there was no way to test by the time. Was she uh, passed out at this point? She was passed out. Passed out. So there's a drunk young lady, passed out, 16 years old. Like I said, young lady. I'm sorry, girl. Girl. Yeah. A 16-year-old she girl. girl. She's, a, she's somebody's child. 16-year-old girl who was uh, passed out uh, and... In this, in, in Steubenville, and apparently the some high schoolers you're saying went around and they carried her from party to party one night, sexually assaulting her, raping Repeatedly. her. Yes, yes. This is real. And, okay. And apparently, um, the, well, there have been two uh, students charged, and they're awaiting trial. Um, and. All of this happens over the summer, but it has suddenly come into the national frame because apparently there's been a series of uh, cover-ups and some corruption that's been revealed by the I'm sorry. anonymous of all places. I'm sorry, did you say cover-ups? Who's covering up um, a, a, a rape of a, of a 16-year-old girl, ma- massive rape, a repeated rape of a 16-year-old girl? 
Well, Anonymous has, has posted some links to um, videos that were captured from the night that were then, you know, that were never posted on the Internet, that were never given to the police. Videos of students talking about this girl being raped, describing her as being dead. Photos of her being carried around at the party. It, uh, tweets that were then later scrubbed that described actions that were happening against her and locations including, like, assistant coaches' houses. What? They mm. went to... they. They took the girl to assistant coaches' houses yes. to repeatedly rape her? That's the allegation. I... Uh, yeah. And and you said there was a, uh, that Anonymous uh, put up a video. I believe we have the audio of said video, uh, Aaron. All right. And be prepared, you guys. Yeah. Uh, yes, again, really another, another, another strong, strong trigger warning right here. All right. Okay. Refreshing beer. That's Charlie's That's like great. It is great. You do it, bro. They raped her. This is the funniest. They raped her harder than that cop raped Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction. You ever seen that? He comes up with them so quick. They raped her quicker than Mike Tyson raped that one girl. He said he said they raped her more than they did. We're good, Red. We. Uh, how, how, what was, how much audio was, was two minutes of it, but two it, minutes, I mean, two minutes, two minutes too long. So I think. Well, that, I mean, I, I think we're I, good. I, no, here's the thing. Here's here's why. Um, I mean, I, I accept if, if if you guys vote to to not play it, but the reason why I was saying to play it is because I feel as if like people have to know exactly. One, what was said here, and two, how this is actually, this actually, like, this, when you listen to that, that, that doesn't, that's not like an, a isolated incident that's just, just really random and strange and that never happened. The, the way they're talking, the fact is, I've heard folks talk like that. Not about an actual rape that, like, happened like, in their town or something like that, mm-hmm. but about rape in general. Um, mm-hmm. I would argue that I, I believe that I probably was uh, guilty of this when I was a 19, uh, 18 year old kid, uh, because I didn't understand quite the, reality of that mm-hmm. I, I was incredibly ignorant and uh and, and ridiculous when it came to these things and i i was thinking that well i'm kidding this is a joke it's uh, um because at the time if you listen to the conversation they were literally trying to up the ante with each other with the shocking of uh, how they're describing this thing but they were talking about someone that, that some somebody they knew in their town and what happened to her I think it's I, worth listening to the rest of it to contextualize okay, exactly then, uh, when and where they're talking about her. Play, play, play the clip, Aaron. Greg, I'm going to watch this every single day. She's dead in the way thought Gandalf was. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's 
Yeah, I knew the JFK, dude. I'm the Bryce Lee than Trayvon Martin, you know? She is better than Trayvon Martin, though. I know you heard that. She's better than him. No, you might go to jail. I'm proud that you might go to jail. And please note, um... They weren't, it's not like, uh, this was a secret recording or something like, 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 um, with Mitt Romney and 47%. Someone was walking around, it looks like, what, like some sort of camera phone or something. And they were all, they, they could clearly see it was being recorded. They were, they were saying this for the recording. Um, and I, yeah, that's, uh, that is, that, that's real. Like, that's like, it's, it's, that's, that's not staged. It's not like something that we made up. That's real. And so when you, t- when women talk about, um, about, about sexual violence and and about how um, it, it, they're blamed for things and how things aren't taken seriously. Like you got to understand, like why they're freaking out. It's like this is this is what we what we see in this video is. I mean, you could get kind of abstract with it and say that this is just like a massive exchange of masculinity, the one upping of each other, the fact that they're all sitting around in a group and like who can be the most offensive. And that's the joke, right? Who could be the most offensive? That, that, that is, in fact, the joke, and it, they're they're completely separate separated from the what actually happened. But the um, thing is, they're not. This was the night of the of the of her rapes. It no, when, when, I, when, I, when I say separate, I don't mean like they uh, themselves are separate. I mean that that it's not even connecting to them. It's not like because like they're literally making dead jokes. Yeah. She's deader than uh, they thought Gandalf was. She's uh, deader than JFK. She's deader than Trayvon Martin. Like they, like they obviously are disconnected from this in a way that I mean I can't even like put into well, words. I think, that, I think what they're doing is that that's the act of of like disconnecting. Because what because what if you watch the entire video, it's clear that at least the guy that's talking, mm-hmm. in addition to other folks that are in the in the background saw this stuff happening they were witnesses and so what they saw was something that was truly horrible but instead of calling the police it became about this sort of groupthink of you know look how funny it is like she's not she's no longer a person she was just an object they could laugh at right that's 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 it. That, and 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 maybe and I apologize uh, uh, for my language. I think uh, I, I worded it wrong when I say uh, uh, they weren't uh, they were disconnected or they were separated from it, uh, because that that's that's what I mean. The idea that they 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 weren't talking about a person at that time. Like that's not you can't talk about. It. If you saw if you saw someone get getting raped and you knew that they were raped repeatedly. I don't think I could not. First of all, I don't think I could uh, see someone getting raped and just be okay with it. Even if I, I let's say I couldn't stop it, it was too many people. I couldn't stop it. I wouldn't be okay with it. I I definitely snitch uh, snitch like a mother uh, on it immediately. Like so, like find someone, tell somebody this is happening uh, to someone. But I I couldn't have this conversation. I couldn't be able so, to like when I used to make jokes. When I say that uh, when I was younger, we made offensive things. Yeah, we said offensive things and we used the term rape wrong, but not about someone we. We were even connected to. Well, so so then, what do you think is going on here? I mean, are these uh, every single one of these kids just monsters, just aberrations? No, no. I, I, that's that's the thing. I I wouldn't. If you ask me, to, would I label them monster all monsters? No. I, I I believe I believe they didn't connect. I don't believe they saw even what was so wrong. It's a part of the whole idea of how um 
how 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 Americans look at this situation. They probably uh, didn't even question it because hey, she was all drunk and passed out. That's what happens. And that I mean, they weren't. Uh, it wasn't crazy about what the dudes did to her because that's what dudes do. We talked about this uh, just uh, yesterday about the idea that like dudes uh, are supposed to be uh, just can't control themselves. So if there's a a, a a girl who's passed out, I mean, what are we gonna do? I mean, we have to get our rape on, right? And that's where that's what it sounds like. It sounds like it, they're in a situation where they. It's they don't they don't even understand how I mean actually no I take one person sounds like they knew like the mm-hmm. guy in the very beginning goes no it was rape that was rape like he's like he, and he says actually it comes up later in the in the video did he because I, I, I the video up, yeah, I saw I mean, was just clear, was uh, blurry so I couldn't really see who was saying what you don't need to see it he actually is always out of frame yeah the, that that one individual who's talking but if you continue to play the video um, he actually uh, comes up and and you can. I can see actually how distanced the lead speaker is from uh, his sort of emotional response to what's happened. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I mean, he says, the the guy that's off camera says, what if this was your daughter? Like, he raped her. Like, like, what if that was your own daughter? And the guy who's talking says, well, then she would just be dead. Yeah. And that dude doesn't know what he's saying. Like, I I, I mean, how, this is high school, right? Yeah. Like so, the, there's, there's a solid chance that these these kids are 16 as well, right? Yeah, 16, 17. Which which they're, again, they're the varsity high school football players. How screw and how screwed is our uh, is our country when this is the type of thing that can happen with our youth and they this don't happens, even they don't even is, blink. This happens all the time. Yeah, but I, I'd argue it's so it, it's a high school thing for some reason. It, it just yeah, it's not as uncommon as you think. I'm what not. I'm, I'm not even. I'm not saying life. it's a. Uh, it's it's so uncommon. I'm just saying that, like, like this. This is the, this is one of those moments where you like. You just like what you have nothing. You got nothing. Like it's like that's the youth, and you just kind of shake your head and you and you just feel great pain because like like what happened to the girl? Like what's that? Like the well, the fact that there was a that there was some somehow a cover up for this. Really? Well, I mean, that's it's because. I mean, there's what Anonymous is, has brought forth is that they basically were are revealing that the coaches, assistant coaches, the staff of the football team were trying to try to like brush this under the rug. Throw me in the landfill. Don't think about the consequences. Throw me in the dirt pit. Don't think about the choices that you make Throw me in the water Don't think about the splash I will create Leave me at the altar Knowing all the things you just escaped Swaziland has banned what they call rape-provoking miniskirts and low-rise jeans. This is, according to police, in Africa's last absolute monarchy. They have banned women from wearing miniskirts and midriff-revealing tops, saying they provoke rape. Now, if you break that law, offenders will face a six-month jail term under the ban, which invokes a colonial criminal act dating back to 1889, they say the act of the rapist is made easy because it would be easy to remove the half cloth worn by the women. This is literally 
It's, it, it's institutionalizing the blame of the victim, isn't it, Daryl? It is. It, it is. <laughs> What's your thought on this on this law? I, I, I don't know. Like I, the funny, I see where they're coming from. I think it's crazy. <laughs> I don't understand how. I, like this would never be passed here. But I would like to pass laws that stop people from walking through um, a housing projects carrying a fistful of hundred dollar bills. They should be able to do it. <laughs> right. But they recognize before that they would never get out of there with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know what? I actually think we should take it a step further. Um, we should actually say anyone not wearing stab proof or a bulletproof vest, if they get stabbed or shot, they go to jail because they should have been wearing that bulletproof vest. It should be illegal not to wear a bulletproof vest if you get shot. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to lose Republicans and Democrats if you say that. But isn't that the argument essentially, Natan? Um, I, I do think that this is similar to legislating, to saying that it's illegal to call someone else a name because that will uh, provoke your murder on, on the part of the person receiving the insult. I, I, don't, I don't see how there's any difference really in principle. But so, so it's ridiculous is what you're saying. Uh, that's what I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. And, it, and we know in the U.S. this happens implicitly, right? If we talk about the shame and the reaction and the disbelief that a lot of rape victims get when they do report a rape. This is this to say, oh, this is crazy in Swaziland. It's happening and not in the U.S. It's happening in the U.S. just in a different way. So we can't forget that. Pause. Remarkable photo on the front page of the New York Times today. It is a photo of President Obama in the Oval Office. He's the one sitting down with his back to the camera. The president meeting in this photo with his senior advisors late last month discussing the fiscal cliff negotiations. You can see Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner there on the far left, Press Secretary Jay Carney in the middle uh, holding a can of soda. Basically, this is the whole fiscal cliff negotiation gang. The caption of the photo says this, quote, The only woman facing the president was, look very closely, Valerie Jarrett. You see Valerie Jarrett in this photo? She's right there near Jay Carney. Really? It's uh, Valerie Jarrett's leg. Uh, presumably her left leg if she is facing the president. Her left leg is sticking out from behind the guy who's in the blue and white shirt standing next to Jay Carney. Ms. Jarrett appears to be wearing black tights maybe or leggings. Uh, but funny as it is, the trick nature of this photograph is not why it became notorious today and it's not why they put it on the front page of the New York Times. It's because out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven senior staff members advising the president on the fiscal cliff negotiations in, in this photo, only one of the people barely in this photo is a woman. Last month, President Obama held a press conference to announce he's nominating Senator John Kerry to replace Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. So, John Kerry, not Susan Rice. Earlier this week, the president announcing that former Republican Senator Chuck Hagel was his pick to be the next Secretary of Defense. So Chuck Hagel and not, say, Michelle Flournoy, the very highly regarded former Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. No word yet on who President Obama has in mind to be his next Secretary of Labor, but Hilda Solis announced just this afternoon that she's handed in her resignation, so that's another woman gone from the cabinet. 
the White House going out of its way to stress today, right after the Solis announcement, exactly who in the cabinet plans to stay on at the start of the president's second term. They led their list with Health Secretary Kathleen Sebelius. Earlier this afternoon at the Daily Briefing, Jay Carney tried to tamp down Chuck Todd's questions about the lack of diversity in the president's second term cabinet. Janet Napolitano is the Secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, a cabinet-level position, the U.N. ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations is Susan Rice. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I could, I could go through the list. This president has appointed, had made, has made two appointments to the Supreme Court, both of them women. Uh, and I think that his commitment to... You think it's an unfair charge? Well, I, I think that the record speaks for itself. Rosa Brooks has written a great column about this at Foreign Policy Today. It's titled, No Girls Allowed, Why the Obama Administration Needs Hormone Therapy. Rosa Brooks is a national security law professor at Georgetown. She spent two years working for Michelle Florinai at the Pentagon. Uh, Rosa, it's great to see you. Thanks for your time. Glad to be here, Rachel. Um, the, in terms of the raw numbers, the Obama administration is roughly equivalent to the Clinton administration in terms of female appointees. Uh, it is doing better than the Bush administration, but you feel like they're worthy of some criticism on this subject. Oh, well, I, I hold President Obama to a pretty high standard. I would like to think that after the eight years of the Bush administration, we could do a little bit better than the Clinton administration, not just uh, go back to the Clinton administration. Mm. Although I have to say, if I were Valerie Jarrett, and I were about to go off the fiscal cliff, I would hide behind Jay Carney, too. <laughs> on the specific issue of uh, Michelle Flournoy's nomination, obviously you're not uh, totally objective on this, having worked for Michelle Flournoy. She is highly regarded uh, in Washington, not just by you, but by pretty much everybody in the defense establishment. Uh, were you surprised that she didn't get the nod? Um, were you surprised that Chuck Hagel specifically did? I was surprised. I, I thought it was a fantastic opportunity for President Obama to make a historic gesture and, and nominate the first female Secretary of Defense. It's one of those situations where it struck me, obviously I, I am completely biased, but it struck me that the most qualified man for the job was a woman in this particular case. Uh, I was also disappointed just that he, he named Chuck Hagel, who's, who's an impressive guy who I admire in a lot of ways, but I don't see why President Obama, a Democrat, wants to send the message that even he thinks that it takes a Republican to run the Defense Department two times out of three. In terms of uh, Michelle Flournoy's role in the national security world, I mean, her job as undersecretary at the Defense Department was itself a, historic, historically, a historically higher level of achievement for mm. uh, someone in the defense world. When she was there, and when she was there as such a highly regarded person, as a potential next Secretary of Defense, did it make a difference in the Pentagon? Did it make a difference in that setting to have a woman at that high level? Right. I think it absolutely did in, in, in several different ways. Uh, number one, uh, she was just a real inspiration, I think, for a lot of younger women and really encouraged them to go into jobs that were perceived as being in male-dominated realms. Uh, second, though, she, she really brought in a terrific crew of, of women uh, into leadership positions in the Pentagon, you know, dramatically increased the number of women in leadership positions. And I think, I think people tend, when they, when you think about your Rolodex, your virtual Rolodex, you tend to think of the people you know, and men tend to know more, more men, and maybe women tend to know more women. So getting a woman into that very high ranking Pentagon post just meant that, you know, she, it, it, it occurred to her 
in a way that might not have occurred to men to to say, hey, I know somebody fantastic, it's Kath Hicks, I know somebody fantastic, it's Janine Davidson, and so forth, and bring in these great women. And then finally, Michelle Flournoy put a tremendous amount of energy into making the Pentagon, making OSD policy, a family-friendly workplace by encouraging not just women, but men as well, to whom this is also a really important issue, to find flexible work arrangements, to telecommute when possible, and even at even in the Pentagon, where you're dealing with classified information a lot, we now have technologies that really do make that possible. And I think that having a leader who emphasized that from the top really did change the workplace culture. Is there a high-profile female appointment, particularly in the national security area, that you are looking for that you think is reasonable to expect as the president continues to roll out his second-term administration? I... I I don't think we're likely to get one. I, I still think that the president, obviously, he could he could ask uh, Michelle Flournoy or Susan Rice uh, to become uh, the national security advisor. Both of them would be fantastic in that job. Uh, likewise, um, you know, he depending on what happens with the position of director of national intelligence, if the the current occupant stays or, or decides to go, that's another opportunity to appoint a woman. And there are some fantastic women in the intelligence community. So I think it, it could be done if he wants to make it a priority. Uh, I, I hope he will, but I don't expect it. Rose Brooks, Georgetown Law Professor, a foreign policy columnist, former counselor to the Undersecretary of Defense, Michelle Flournoy. Rose, it's nice to see you. Thanks for being here. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be. You know that there are. And if you want to live high, live high. And if you want to live low, live low Cause there's a million ways to go You know that there are You can do what you want The opportunities are And if you find a new way You can do it today Interesting exchange today on uh, Morning Joe uh, apparently, uh, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski had on a, um, a reporter from, I don't know, was she from The Hill or Politico or? Uh, I, think Caddy, I thought Caddy Kay's with the BBC. Okay, Caddy Kay's with the BBC. And um, they were talking about the, the Obama, President Obama's uh, picks for his cabinet, the, the fact that so far it appears uh, most of them all of the uh, new nomination nominees are white males, um, and uh, the notion of whether or not President Obama was uh, female friendly in his administration. Uh, there's certainly been reports in the past that that's not the case, but I've seen those uh, those reports uh, debated. Um, his history, at least in his first term, of appointing women to uh, high positions uh, in our um, in the cabinet um, is uh, is fairly good, um, but it would be nice. I agree. I mean, it's hard to believe that there aren't uh, there there couldn't be more diverse picks for uh, his cabinet. But uh, that actually was sort of the sideshow. The main show was the way that Joe Scarborough was talking to this uh, reporter from the BBC, so much so that Mika Brzezinski, his partner uh, on the show, had to uh, repudiate his behavior, and he 
instead of saying, um, you're right, I'm sorry, um, he basically went on, as he denied the repudiation, to prove the charges. Listen to this. I'm actually trying to ignore the... Uh, I, I am afraid to use the word because it will not be good for you, okay? Because mm. you're being chauvinistic right now. And you <gasps> oh, need to I stop. Really? Oh. All right? You know because what? I, I'm sorry. The, okay. This is not funny. No, it's, it's not, not funny. funny. You know, it's not funny if you're a woman that works in the Obama no, administration Joe. and you want to go to the highest rungs of that administration. It's not funny. And you can attack me and be personal and make personal uh -huh. attacks against me. You've got a president that you, you, you worship on this show every day. You savage Mitt Romney. He has a, he has a picture that if a Republican president had a that cabinet, New York Times would be savage. You know what's also sort of problematic is that, um, why is there a journalist? I mean, what, you know, what should also be sort of scandalous is like this idea that this journalist who hosts the show, uh, what is, what do you say? Praises? Pra what, you, you, you lavish praise on Obama? I mean, it's, that's pretty funny too, but keep going. And you're calling the wrong guy a chauvinist. <laughs> you're calling the wrong guy a chauvinist. And seriously? Hold on. Oh. You want to call me a chauvinist? <laughs> Right here. Let no, me help no, you. No, 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 no. Let me help you. Okay. That noise you heard was Joe Scarborough snapping to get the attention, not of a puppy that was on the the uh, set, but his co-host, Mika Brzezinski, who apparently was not looking at him and paying attention to him enough. So much so that it was so blatantly chauvinistic so blatantly, um, uh, just, I mean, condescending that everyone around the table laughed because he was completely acting the way that she was charging he was acting in trying to deny that he was acting that way. All he needed to do was add a little, you know, hey, toots. Oh, 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 sweet lips. So, oh, oh, over here. You listen up, honey. You don't call me a sexist. Hey, hey, yo, 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 yo. Come on, little lady. Oh, 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 oh. You really, knowing me and seeing me work around here for five years, you want to call me a show no, on I'm television? No, Actually, knowing you and seeing you work in the past five seconds before you just said those words. <laughs> Was fairly good evidence. Oh, 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 oh! Who is this guy? He's, uh, what's it? Who is that comedian? Oh, I put it on her back. Oh! Andrew Dice, Andrew Clay. Dice Clay! Oh! Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> You're looking around, you haven't seen me for five years! Oh, oh, oh! You want to say that? Caddy was chauvinist. Do you want to say that on television? That I'm a chauvinist? I didn't. You did? No, I didn't. I said the way you're acting is chauvinistic, especially the way you were handling this conversation. Okay. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it went on. But to be fair, to be fair to all involved, several minutes later there was an apology when Mika apologized. Jesus Christ. Mika apologized to Joe... I, 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 well, you know, like, I saw the two videos, here's the, the thing, and here's the apology, and then I realized, wait, this is Mika apologizing. I couldn't even go any further. My God. Oh, 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 come on, little, little, That was, um... An apology's in order. Hey. Oh.
Hey Jay, this is Kyle from Cleveland. I'd like to start by saying that I consider myself a progressive, and I am a gun owner. I don't own assault weapons. I own a handgun for home protection. And uh, basically I have to say that, uh, first of all, I appreciate Wade calling in. I don't think Mara was trying to insult him. I hope he doesn't feel that way. I mean, really, I, I appreciate him calling in so that a lot of us can get a uh, perspective of either point of view, which in our own circles, we really don't have much of that. So uh, I hope he continues to call in and express his views. That being said, he made a good point about the whole thing about assault weapons bans and uh, not needing them because of the marauding groups of climate change survivors. Another point that you didn't make is that there's a good chance these roving bands of people are going to have them also. So it doesn't really, I mean, even if you think it's going to equalize you in the fight, it may or may not. But, I mean, ultimately, if you're defending your home and there's a whole band of people, if two of them have the same assault rifle you have, then it's still kind of fruitless. I mean, it's getting to the point where we're getting into our own personal mutual assured destruction. And uh, I just think it's a dangerous place to be because, well, like you said, we're not going to uh, get into treaties with each other and getting, you know, dis dis disarming ourselves. But, I mean, really, I can see the need for home defense and a handgun. I mean, I, I see nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people will land base me for that opinion. But again, you have to be responsible in your gun ownership. I just don't see the need for high-capacity clips or assault rifles. So, thanks, Jake. Keep up the good work on the show. Hey, Jay, this is Paul calling from New York. I just want to first say uh, thank you for, for a great show. You're doing a great job all these years. And I also want to say thank you to uh, Wade from Texas. So uh, I know he's conservative and uh, has his strong beliefs. And, and I want to thank him. Number one, for his service, being willing to number two, um, for being a reasonable guy in explaining his position. I live in New York. I disagree with him. Um, you'll find me uh, on the left of center uh, on a lot of these issues. But if I don't hear from people like him explain his position, I won't know or understand where he's coming from. And so I absolutely appreciate um, his frank honesty about his position. Um, I'll say this. I've said this before, and I'll say this again. You know, our, our symbol of America is the American eagle, and an eagle can't fly with only one wing. We need a left wing, we need a right wing in order for the eagle to fly high. Thank you all. Jay, this is Perry from Green County, India. First, I want to say thanks for all you do, and especially for putting out the best podcasts on the web. It's extremely smart, extremely well-produced, consistent, and entertaining. So keep up the good work. Second, I'd like to leave an activist call for action. My guess is that a good percentage of your listeners are either students or college graduates. And for all the people in those two groups, I'd like to urge them to go to gofossilfree.org and sign a petition to get their school to divest from fossil fuels. We know that 200 publicly traded companies hold the vast majority of the world's proven coal, oil, and gas reserves. We also know that the colleges and universities have billions of dollars to invest in their endowments. We think that the bastions of knowledge populated with some of the smartest people who know the most about climate change should be making investments that will destroy the planet that the students that they're teaching are going to inherit. We've already got 210 campus campaigns on the map so go to GoFossilFree.org and sign or start a petition urging your college to hit the fossil fuel companies where it hurts. 
in the wallet. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I feel like I had a little bit of a breakthrough today on the issue of how we discuss sexual assault. Not sexual assault itself, I certainly don't know how to solve that problem, but on how we discuss it, I think I came across sort of a fundamental problem with, with how we have those conversations. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but not in a lot of gory detail. So just judge your own level of uh, comfort with that. So this is basically how I see it. Uh, when a, a crime is committed, you know, generally speaking, statistically, we'll just say that you know there's a male uh, perpetrator, female victim, and we discuss. And so imagine a horizontal line, uh, victims on one side, perpetrators on the other, and between you know the, the horizontal line itself is where to place the blame for the crime. And you know most normal thinking people would put the blame on the perpetrator because that's who perpetrated the crime. Um, but for reasons that I cannot nearly understand, and we would need a psychologist to come and, and try to help us out with that, uh, a lot of people have this just visceral uh, gut reaction that says, you know, we need to push push the blame at least a little bit over onto the victim. Uh, you know, so we heard Bill O'Reilly uh, saying that really briefly in today's show. And, you know, and then the thing with... Uh, uh, like banning skirts, and David Packman said it really well. It's institutionalizing blaming the victim. So for for whatever reason, people want to say, you know, oh, that she wasn't dressed right, or she was in a bad place, or she went to a party, or she was drinking, or whatever. So what do you expect to happen? So because because of that, what do you expect to happen? You then have to push some of the blame over onto that person. You have to move that uh, dial over on the line a little bit. And so if you refute this, you know, as maybe a feminist, as I certainly would count myself as one, as you should, and say, no, 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 uh, it doesn't matter what the victim was doing or, or how they were dressed, when a crime is committed, it is 100% the fault of the perpetrator who committed the crime, not at all the fault of the person uh, who was victimized. And so, you know, when you, when you make that argument, but accept the frame, as I think happens a lot you accept the frame that if the you know would be victim or eventual victim uh, was not at all prepared that then, then some of the blame goes over to them and we say no 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 it shouldn't matter and you try to push the blame back over without refuting the frame itself then that's just an argument of you know where do we move that dial and what i would like to actually see entirely is a decoupling of the you know the blame range <laughs> and the preparedness of a, you know a, a person who may eventually become a victim and so, so I'll explain that when a, a crime is committed it's the fault of the perpetrator there there is no range there there's there's not there's not a way to move the blame away from the perpetrator in that case but that means that you know a, a person being prepared or cautious, or however you want to phrase it, that can be a separate issue. And so, the way I've I've heard it described a lot, and I'm, so I'm sensitive to this, is that when you have a discussion about you know women needing to be careful, then when they are then victimized, they feel like, well, I wasn't careful enough; it must be my fault, and then they blame themselves. And so that's what I, you know, I and and hopefully lots of other people desperately want to avoid is having the victim feel 
doubly victimized by then thinking by taking on the blame themselves. And so I, I feel like by decoupling the blame from the preparedness, you can still give really reasonable sound advice to say, hey, like you should prepare yourself. You you know, if you go to a party, watch your drink. You don't some, want someone to put something in your drink. Uh, you know, don't go in bad neighborhoods if you can avoid it. Uh, take a cab home rather than, uh, you know, walk in a dark street if you can uh, help it. All of those sorts of things is, is good advice. But then, you know, whether you follow any of that advice or not, if you then become victimized, know that your preparedness and the blame for the crime are completely decoupled from each other and that there is no relationship between the two. The blame for the crime goes to the criminal. The only thing that I want to avoid is the idea that because a victim cannot be blamed for the crime based on their level of cautiousness doesn't mean that people shouldn't be cautious. So they're related yet separate and that's why, and people have a really hard time talking about it. And so that it's the, I, th- I believe that it's the same phenomenon of, of coupling the blame to the uh, cautiousness or preparedness of an eventual victim that causes not only uh, victims to then blame themselves for the, for the crime, but also it's, it's the same phenomenon that causes everyone from, you know, snickering teenagers on a videotape like we heard today to, uh, you know, commentators like Bill O'Reilly making the connection saying, well, you know, those women, they, they should be more prepared and therefore they should take some of the blame. And I, I think that the first part of the statement is okay. I think that people should be prepared. I think not just women. I think everyone should be cautious about most things. I mean, life is risky. We accept risk in every moment of of our lives. And we also try to mitigate that risk as as much as possible. And it's just a wise thing to do. Like I think the the good example, you know, you wash your drink. You just don't want someone to put something in your drink. So although it was a good idea to be cautious and try to mitigate your risks, it's also okay to say that regardless of how <laughs> how you've acted or how you've mitigated your risks, that it's not your fault if something terrible happens to you perpetrated by someone else. And that's, you know, the fact that that should be disconnected from each other but is not is, I think, the problem with how this t- gets discussed. So this sounds really good to me. I think I'm really on the right track. Um, I, it felt like a, a good and powerful breakthrough, just sort of a realization. It, so like I say, hopefully I'm making sense. Uh, I, I would love comments on this if if this feels like uh, it's it's very right or very wrong to you. Uh, let me know the number again, 206-202-3410. And because of the touchiness of the subject, I, I certainly recognize that. Believe me, I went over my thoughts on this over and over and over again before recording this. I think I got it right uh, based on you know my thoughts. And so before you react, maybe, uh, you know, to help everyone out, if you feel really strongly about something I said, maybe listen through to it twice just to make sure you heard me right to avoid, you know, hurt feelings or confusion or, or any, anything like that. 
So that's going to be it for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks, of course, everyone who supports the show, either by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the show survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips that you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used on this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine lines black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you wanna meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Take you out